All right, Ephesians 4, we've been here every night this week. Let's, let's give it a quick look to start our message, and we'll give it another quick look to, to finish up the message. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. We've been talking this week about things that God has put in our life in addition to Himself in order to bring us on to perfection. And we saw on Monday night that He has given us... Uh, evangelists and and pastors and teachers and prophets, and we thank Him for that. And then last night we saw how that He's given us one another as members of one body to minister one to another. Now tonight the Bible says this in Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation. That's a job, that's a career. So we've, we've as Christians, all saved people have been given a job to do. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing, that's putting up with, one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you're here tonight and you are saved, you have not necessarily been called to preach or called to go to the mission field or called to do some, some specific ministry type work. But if you're here tonight and you're saved, you have been called to endeavor to keep the unity among saved people. If every one of us would work at staying unified. Not united. We are united by the Holy Spirit. But just because people are united doesn't mean they're unified. You live in the United States of America. Our states are united. They are not unified. Save people tonight are united, but they are not unified. And we are, the Bible says, we are to work at this thing. We are to labor in this matter of, of making sure that we are not just bound to one another, but that we are bound to one another peacefully, that we live together in peace and in unity. And in order to illustrate this, uh, we're going to turn in just a second after we pray, and we're going to look at the greatest miracle since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in the Bible, the greatest miracle since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight, please, to learn your word, love your word, and leave here determined to live by your word, that you might bless us fully, fully as you desire to do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to Acts chapter number 1. Acts 1, we are in this chapter, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, has just ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. He has taken his place there as the head of the body, which is the church. He will live there to make intercession for us, to serve as the one mediator between God and men, and all of those wonderful things. But the Bible says here in verse number 12, Acts 1, 12, Then return they, these are the disciples, uh, unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, and when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. Now, I, the King James Bible also has a little trouble with math. How many of you... You, you do okay in, in English language and that sort of thing, but science and math, really, really tough for you. Who? Just one. 
How many of you are great at science and math, but the English gives you, well, just, just a few. How many are, can't, can't pass anything? <laughs> but uh, here's what, you that have trouble with math, this is great. Verse 13, there abode both. Now count them. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas. That's a lot of both, isn't it? So, so we, we got a, we got all these boaths in there. And then verse 14 says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So, so all these people are in the upper room and because they have come to believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. They watched him die. The tomb was empty. He has shown himself alive by many infallible proofs. And now they're all believing and they're waiting in this upper room as Jesus instructed them to do for the promise of the Holy Ghost. All of this is, is just in line with what the Lord told them. And as they wait in this upper room, they are together and they are in one accord. Isn't that beautiful? So they're not only united, but they are unified. They are in unity. They are at peace. Beautiful. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's pleasant to God. It's pleasant to, to the brethren. Now, verse 15, And in those days, the days in the upper room, the days when they're in one accord, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. That's cool. <laughs> Just splattered. Remember we talked last night about the, the parts of the body and how great it is if they're all where they're supposed to be? Judas's parts are not where they're supposed to be. They're, they're everywhere. And what an end to the man who betrayed Jesus. And from there he went to hell. So th th that's even worse. 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a seldoma, which is to say the field of blood. Now, a little something for you young men that are getting ready for the ministry. You say, I didn't know that was pronounced that way. Who knows how it's pronounced? When you come to these names in the Bible, say them confidently, and everybody will think that's how they're supposed to be pronounced. Just, <laughs> just be sure of it. Oh, Alexander Scorby, I guess people still listen to him reading the King James Bible. I wonder how many nights he went home and said to his wife, I have no idea how to say that, but everybody does now. <laughs> I'll say it like Scorby does. It just say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So, Peter, the, the, the short version of this is, there are twelve apostles chosen by Jesus Christ. And he promised them they would sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, it's obvious those words of Jesus cannot now be fulfilled because Judas has gone to his own place. He has, he has gone to that, that terrible place where lost people go. And now we have 11 apostles. But Jesus said we have need of 12. 
And so these men and women in this upper room are going to choose under God's direction and God's leadership, they are going to choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. So far, so good. In fact, the Bible says that, that when this man falls, that another is to be selected to take his place and fill his office. And so, so far, so good. We're going by the Bible. We're doing what the Scripture says. Verse 21, Wherefore, of these men which is accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must... One be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So, what are the requirements? The man we select had to start with us from John's baptism. He had to stay true to this discipleship and this ministry all the way to Calvary, all the way to the resurrection, all the way to the ascension of Jesus Christ. So, someone in our company who has been faithful to the messianic uh, announcement and then and faithful to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ and has now come to believe and, and, and trust in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've got to choose someone to take the place of Judas. So far, everything's running smoothly, just like we want it to. And they appointed two. Uh-oh. Now, it'd been a lot easier if everybody had voted for the same man. But what has just happened? We are united, but we are not in unity. Because half of the congregation has selected one man, and half of the congregation has selected another man. If you've been in church any length of time, you know where this is going. Well, maybe not. They appointed two, Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice. He had three different names. And Matthias, he only had one. <laughs> and they prayed and said, now, now, look, that's great. So half the congregation picks one man, half the congregation picks another man, which means they're, they're not in agreement. And so what do they do? They do what a church is supposed to do. They do what Christian people are supposed to do. They prayed. Wonderful. That's, that's the right thing to do. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men. So they're not going to judge after man's judgment. They're not going to reason according to popularity or influence or into that. They want God's will to be done. Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And you know what? God doesn't tell them. They pray that prayer, and at the end of verse 25, they don't know which man to select. And at the end of that prayer, however long they prayed, however many people led in prayer, however fervently they poured out their hearts to God, there is no clear answer. I've been in situations like that, haven't you? You sincerely sought the Lord. You, you, you took all the scriptural information you could before the Lord. You prayed as sincerely as you knew how, and you still didn't know what to do or what His will was. So they did what any New Testament Baptist church would do in a situation like this. They went to the pastor's office and got the dice. <laughs> and if it's 
Seven and up, it's Barsabbas. And if it's six and under, it's Matthias. I've never heard of a church doing that. Look, verse 26, And they gave forth their lots. They cast lots for an apostle. That's, that's pretty wild. Now, we can't preach on the whole thing tonight, but you, you go back there in the Old Testament and the Bible says that, that, uh, that the lot is cast in the lap for the disposing of the matter. And you just, you just gotta trust the Lord. Say, God, we sought you. Nobody, nobody heard your voice. Nobody got in direction. We're not, we're not clear on this. And so we just put some marbles in a jar and pulled them out. Or we, we broke straws and put, you say, that's not very spiritual. Most of what we do isn't very spiritual. But they didn't know what else to do. And so they cast lots, and the, and the lot fell upon Matthias. And in the Amplified Version, it says, Bersabbas yelled, two out of three. But that's, we just... Anybody remember the Amplified Version? No, no, just a couple of you. Get your pastor, he'll show you. It's a New Testament that's about this thick, because they, they put every possible rendering in it. Uh, okay, anyway. And so the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, so let's think about this. Come on, practically, practically. This is what we might call a spiritual business meeting. There is some business the church has to attend to. The church is about to put a man in a very high, in fact, the highest of offices within the church. And they have discussed it among themselves. They have uh, set forth the qualifications. They have found not one man but two who meet these qualifications. No doubt there's been much discussion. Here's why our man is qualified. And the other side said, here's, here's why our man is qualified. And, and neither side could persuade the other. They have prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and, and you know how that prayer is, is going. It's, it's uh, Lord, show them that our guy is the one. And the other side is praying, Lord, show them that our guy is the one. One of those questions people ask all the time is, you believe God answers everybody's prayers? He can't. Can you imagine how many million lottery winners there would be every week if God answered everybody's prayers? So, so uh, no, he, he, he answers in accord with his purposes and his will. And at this point in time, they're seeking an answer. They don't get one. And so uh, they, the casting of lots takes place. Now, you realize half of the congregation had as just an argument as the other half. Half of the congregation had a man who met the qualifications as completely as the other half of the congregation had a man who met the qualifications. And, and you realize that one of these men is standing on the verge of ruling over a tribe in Israel in the millennial kingdom and misses out on it by the casting of lots. We're not talking about one side wanted to buy a 15-passenger van and the other side wanted to buy too many vans. We're not talking about one side voted for carpet and the other side voted for tile. This is huge. Now watch the miracle. You want to see the miracle? Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Before that meeting 
they were all there. After that meeting, they were all there. Before that meeting, they were in one accord. After that meeting, they were in one accord. You know what the Lord showed us in the very first chapter of the book of Acts? You will not always get your way in church even when you're right. You will not always get your way in church even when you are seeking God and praying. Guess what? That's just life. Everything doesn't go our way in life. We don't always get what we want in life. And because we're now saved and part of the body of Christ and, and in a thriving and biblical local church, we still don't get everything our way. The Lord didn't say, brother, endeavoring to get your way. He said, endeavoring to keep the unity. The Lord didn't say, sister, endeavoring to get everybody on your side. He said, endeavoring to keep the unity. Is it not a miracle that all of the people in that congregation who nominated their man, who campaigned for their man, who prayed for their man, who, who wanted the lot to fall on their man, none of them packed their things and went home when the vote or the lot or the dice or the short straw, however they did it, when the thing didn't go their way, nobody left. Why? The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He has died upon the cross to pay for their sins. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. What is having your way in a business meeting compared to that? What is having someone agree with you on some point or another compared to that? These people were so, so overwhelmed by the reality of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There wasn't anywhere else to go. These people are so, their lives are so changed by what Christ has accomplished on their behalf that everything else is insignificant. The little I've gotten to know your pastor in person and by phone, the little I've gotten to know his family here, here in these few meetings that we've had together, I think he loves the Lord. I, I do. I think he loves you. I think he loves the Bible. I think he's trying his dead level best to follow Jesus as he believes he should. That does not mean he's going to do everything right. And that does not mean that every, whenever he does something right, that you're going to think it was right. Where are you going to go but heaven to be in a place where everything is done correctly? Nowhere. So, we are not here to endeavor to make the pastor agree with us on everything. And I don't believe, I don't believe your pastor is here laboring to make you agree with him on everything. But there are things that we, we'll go back to Ephesians 4 in a minute. There are some things that we must all agree on because they are the things which unite us. But the things that we, that are not musts which unite us, are not, are not as essential as the things that would destroy our unity. 
And what we are to do is we are to strive to maintain the things that unite us and strive to not be divided over the things which do not unite us. Can I, can I give you an example? I, I, don't, I don't know anything about, about what I'm about to say in this church. I know a little bit about our church, but I, I know more than I want to know. I don't want to know anything about it, really. And as I go from church to church, I do not know tonight which of you are Republicans and which of you are Democrats. I don't know which of you voted for, for Mitt Romney, who thought that one, thinks that one day he will be a god, or Mr. Obama, who thinks that he's one already. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what your preference is on that. I really don't. But you know what? The political party we support has nothing to do with making us one in Jesus Christ. Making sure. Now, so for me to divide a body of believers over a political position or a campaign, before you do that, what is that compared to Christ dying for our sins? Christ rising from the dead, your sins being washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit sealing you to the day of redemption so when you are absent from the body you can be present with the Lord. Those are the things that matter. The other things we can discuss if we want to. You can have a favorite basketball team and somebody else can, can, can have a, another favorite basketball team and you can argue about it and you can make fun of each other and you can laugh when you're, when one team loses or the other team loses. I'm just telling you that is not the basis of Christian fellowship. And we have to endeavor not to get everybody to agree with us on all of these fringe things or secular things. We have to labor and endeavor to make sure that those things don't tear us apart. Because they're not all that big a deal. Come on, big, big picture, big picture. The things that Christians fight about and the things that people leave churches over are nothing compared to the important stuff. Now, let me show you a picture of what we're talking about. That, that is quite a miracle, wouldn't you say? 120 attendants. After the business meeting, 120 attendants. And they're all happy to be there. That's a blessing. All right, let's go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. You know that Lord wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. He didn't write many letters, but he wrote one to the church at Philippi. There are a lot of churches in a lot of cities. The Philippians got one. And that letter written to the Philippians, it's not like Corinthians. That Corinthian church was a mess. That Laodicean church was a mess. That church at Sardis had some problems. But when the Lord wrote that letter to the Philippians, don't you love that letter? It's just joy and hope and happiness and rejoicing. And, and that was a great church to be in. Let me show you something about the founding of that church. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worship God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now let's just take the wording of the Bible. Lydia 
seems very unusual for the times. It's not so unusual for modern-day America, but consider the times. Lydia runs her own business. She's a, she's a woman who sells purple dye. And purple dye was, I mean, that's expensive stuff. Royalty used that. Kings and queens and emperors wore purple garments. And Lydia's a seller of purple. Not only that, she runs her house. Bible doesn't say she asked her husband if Paul could come over. She just said, she could come over to my house. That's interesting, isn't it? This, this woman is, she is intelligent. She is bold. She is outspoken. She, she's, she's a modern, liberated type woman. But she heard the gospel. She believed it. She got baptized. She got saved. She got in fellowship. Isn't that a blessing? Now, look at verse number 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Oh, boy. Which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. This, uh, this woman, she got unclean spirit in her. And some men, the devil possesses her. And then some men possess her and use her and the devil that's in her to make money for themselves off of her ability to tell the future and read palms and look into crystal balls and flip tarot cards and, and all that sort of thing. So this woman, she's in double bondage. She's in bondage to unclean spirit, and she's in bondage to men who have taken possession and control of her life and are making merchandise of her. That's an awful thing. And the Bible says, the same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. Now watch the change in her life. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. Now, you've heard the story of Paul and Silas being in the prison at midnight, singing praise. That's how they got there. They got to prison because they delivered this woman from the unclean spirit in the name of Jesus Christ and in so doing delivered her from her masters. And these men stirred up a big, a big uh, problem, controversy, and had these men thrown in prison. Well, watch what the Bible says. In verse number 22, the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them, no mercy, no sympathy, into the outer inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Their backs are bloodied. Their backs are just oozing with, with pus as those white blood cells race to try and heal up those wounds. And this man throws them down in the dirt and then takes them and locks their hands and locks their feet in place so, so they're in this painful, uncomfortable. He couldn't care less. His heart is as hard as this desk right here. That's that old Philippian jailer. You'd have to be. Listen, those cries and screams and, and agony and all, all of that that, that you, you would endure in those days. All right, 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. They're really giving it all they got. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. People say, well, this is just a coincidence. The ground just happened to shake at that time. Really? Explain the handcuffs coming off. 
Explain the shackles coming off the feet. This is a supernatural miracle wrought by God. And 27, the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and would have killed himself because if the prisoners get away, he gets executed torturously. So he's just going to throw himself on his sword and end it all, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light. And who could blame a man for wanting a cigarette in a crisis like that? But... No, it's, that's, that's, that's not what it means. It's, I don't think. <laughs> and he called for... See, I, you say, though, that now you're going to remember... You won't remember anything else I preach. You remember that. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Comma. And thy house. There's a comma there because if he gets saved, that doesn't mean everybody else in his house gets saved. There's a comma there because if he'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he can be saved, and every member in his house can be saved if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't don't miss the comma. You'll be teaching some sort of uh, family plan. You can get that on your phone. You can't get that for salvation. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, see, and to all that were in his house. Got it? Everybody heard the word. And verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Well, that's a different man from what threw them in the inner prison and fastened them in the stocks. Something's changed. And was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Now, I don't want to read into the Bible what's not there, but I also want us to reason together and and be realistic tonight. Don't you think that Lydia, running her business and running her household, and this, this hard, mean, rough, rugged jailer. Don't you think his wife was in a very different situation than Lydia? Don't don't you picture this woman as, as under more than a little oppression in her home? Don't you picture her as as having to say, yes, sir, I'll get it right away, where Lydia might be inclined to say, get it yourself, you've got two legs. But you know what? Lydia had an encounter with a preacher of the gospel. And this devil-possessed woman had an encounter with a preacher of the gospel. And this Philippian jailer's wife had an encounter with a preacher of the gospel. And every one of them had a marvelous, life-changing work wrought in them by Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you something. A week before Paul got to town, in your wildest imagination, you cannot picture those three women sitting down for a meal. They have absolutely nothing in common. Their lives are different. Their interests are different. Their opportunities are different. Their circumstances are different. They've got nothing to talk about. In fact, they probably wouldn't talk to each other about each other, but not to each other. And now look at them. 
church is over. They go down in the basement. They help set up the white plastic tables. They help put the metal folding chairs around the tables. They help get the fellowship meal ready and put the casserole dishes out for the people to come. And and they're just chatting away about how great it is. And didn't you enjoy that sermon? And wasn't that song a blessing? And they sit down at the table and and the meal's all over. And they just talk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes for an hour like they're best of friends who grew up together. You know what they have? They have been united by Jesus Christ. But they have unity because of Jesus Christ. Their houses are different. Their clothing is different. Their income is different. Their education is different. But what matters is common to each of them. And they choose to fellowship around what matters. You know what they are? They are the foundation of the great church at Philippi must be they've all been joined to the same chief cornerstone and as long as they keep that the main thing in their relationship they're doing just fine I don't know anything about any of you I don't I don't I I know you're here tonight in in church I know you got your your bible in your lap or your phone in your hand with with you say the bible's on it I'm if you wear glasses, be careful. Sometimes we can see what's on your screen on your glasses. From, from, we can see a lot from up here. Well, I'm just looking at my Bible while you're preaching. With both thumbs flying? I know, you were telling a friend, he just made a great point. We, I shouldn't even say this. We, we had this... this Lady, she visited a few weeks ago. It just, it struck me. That's this is the day we're living in. She she just came and, and we were having uh, communion and somebody had served her. I'm not going to get in that argument with you tonight about closed, open, half open, half closed, open just a crack. Anyway, she. what I was going to tell you is she's got a communion cup in one hand and she's texting on her phone in the other. I thought, even so come Lord Jesus. This thing, this thing can't go any farther down the train than it is right now. And somebody, somebody said maybe she was taking a selfie so her friends could see that she was doing communion. I don't know. You know why people take selfies? Because they ain't got no frenzies. We used to get our friends to take our picture. They didn't all look like our nose was three feet long because we were. <laughs> sorry. Was that my, across the line there? Oh, the, no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. Turn, turn the side a little bit. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> God didn't cheat you. <laughs> oh, man. See, wait. Those are the things. Your pastor, he said, you know, I make these comments. And later I think I shouldn't have made that comment. He said, do you ever do that? And I just laugh because of course I do. (laughs) How can you not? No, I'm I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just I should say things. He's got to get up at four in the morning and take me to the airport. Or he was going to. Okay, so like these three ladies, some of you probably live in very, very nice houses. And some of you may live in a single wide 
mobile home trailer. Some of you, some of you may drive a really nice car, and some of you might drive not such a nice car, but it's paid for. And some of you may shop in the finest stores, and some of you may wait until the people who shop in the finest stores wear it once and then take it to Goodwill, and then you go and get it at the Goodwill store. So, listen. What we have in common is Jesus Christ. What we have in common is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if we will build our church life and fellowship around the things that matter, that we all have in common, we can enjoy not just being united, but being unified. And it's a wonderful thing for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, God isn't going to make that happen. We have to do that. Come back to Ephesians 4. Let's finish up where we started. Come back to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians 4. And look what the Bible says about every one of us that's saved. Verse 4, there's one body... We're in that. And one spirit, we have that. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, we all have that blessed hope. One Lord, He's ours. One faith, that's, that's how we all got saved. One baptism, we'll, we'll not go into that tonight. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't that great? We have all of that in common. <laughs> Verse... 25, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Guess what? People who have all that in common sometimes aren't real honest with each other. And when somebody hasn't been real honest with you, there are some attitudes and some feelings that grow out of that which tend to do what? Rob us of our unity. Verse 26, be, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Somebody, you come, listen, you come to church three times a week with the same group of people, somebody's going to make you angry. Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Somebody's going to say something to your kids or to your wife or about your youth pastor's nose. And, and it's, it's, it's going to make you angry. You brought it up. And, and it's going to make you angry. I can't believe he said that. He shouldn't have said that. It's not right. Can't believe they did that. Our family wouldn't do that. Of course your family wouldn't do that. Your family would do something else. <laughs> See who he's writing to here? Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. And let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, bitterness. Let all wrath and anger, one hope of your calling, one God, one Father of us all, <laughs> and clamor. That's just noise, racket. And evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
I am so, I am so fed up with that guy. I hope he wrecks his car. I hope he loses his job. I hope God gets him. You know, that guy that's got the same faith you have. That person that's in the same body you are. Isn't it amazing? The same chapter that talks about what we all have in common in Jesus Christ at the end of the chapter talks about how easily it can slip away from us. Not what unites us, but what unifies us. Look at the last verse. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why would God have to tell us to forgive one another? Because He knew we were going to do things to one another. And we were going to say things about one another. And there were going to be little little bumps and little offenses and little hurt feelings. You know what the Lord said? Endeavor. Don't endeavor to get even. Don't endeavor to tell everybody what happened. Don't endeavor to get more people on your side than on his side or her side. Endeavor to keep the unity. Forgive them. Here's what they say. They'll sit in the office. They'll say, Pastor, you don't know what that man did to me. You don't know how that thing hurt me. You don't know what that... We didn't finish the verse. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now wait, before you say, I could never forgive him after what he did to me, What if God said that? What if God said, I could never forgive you after what you did to me? But He doesn't, does He? He doesn't. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time, every, every time. Now, you know what He says? I'm united to you, but I also endeavor to keep the unity between you and me. And we rejoice in that. Praise God, I'm saved forever because Jesus Christ keeps me, right? There's what he said. I just want you to do for each other what I've done for you. How about that? So all of us, we saw it last night, All of us don't have the same gift, talent, ability, function within the body of Christ. But we all have one job in common. It's not evangelist, pastor, teacher, helps, government, it's endeavoring to keep the unity. So when you hear in a conversation or you hear in a Sunday school discussion or you hear in a question and answer session, somebody asks the pastor, somebody says, man, I didn't know he believed that. That's way off. That guy's way off. And when you hear that somebody's family allows something in their home that you'd never allow in your home, we're not talking about compromise. We're not talking about you selling out the button. You know that. You know that. I wouldn't be here. Your pastor wouldn't have brought me here if I, if I, if I believed that. But here's what you've got to say. Is that more important than the death, burial, 
resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Is that more important than His blood that washed my sins away and His Holy Spirit that lives in me? Am I going to walk away from brothers and sisters in Christ at a Bible-preaching church over that? When I have all of these wonderful things to keep me there? Endeavoring to keep the unity. 120 in an upper room in one accord. Half of them didn't get their way. And they were right. And 120 still in one accord in the upper room. Think what they would have missed out on if they'd have gotten angry and gone home. That day of Pentecost was quite a thing. Glad they stuck around for it. God's going to do some great things in this church. Stick around for it. Stick around. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us tonight to understand that Lydia and the jailer's wife and that woman that had that unclean spirit were very, very different people with very different backgrounds and very different personalities and very different abilities. And yet, Lord, you formed a great church out of the unity that existed between those three very different ladies. God, would you help us not to try and make everybody into our mirror image, but to help one another go on to be in your image? Please, Father, help us. Have your way in this church, not just tonight in this invitation time, but in the days between now and your coming. May we be in one accord, walking in obedience to your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.